Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the MTG Goldfish Podcast. I have the crew here with me, as always, myself. We have Seth and Richard. So we're going to dedicate a lot of this podcast to Dragons of Tarkir, and we have a good week of spoilers, a lot of cards to talk about. So we're just going to handle that this podcast. And at the end, we have some MTG fish mail, and we have a lot of it this time. So thank you, everyone, for sending in those uh, fish mails. We're going to get to them. We're going to answer them. And thanks, everyone, who has also given feedback on the podcast. We are going to do our best to bring you a great podcast every week. And we really enjoy people giving us feedback and, of course, the mail as well. So how are you guys doing? Dragons of Tarkir, you guys, uh, you guys excited? Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right. We got Megamorphin Power Rangers. We got dragons. We got dinosaurs. So let's just jump right into it. Myself, Seth, and Richard came up with this list to talk about. So before we get into that, just first initial reactions, Richard. Uh, initial reactions are the rares are very strong in this set. All of the dragons uh, look pretty sweet. Uh, they're strong for limited, at least, and I think that's a bit of a problem. So far, the rares look vastly more powerful than the uncommons, so I'm a bit worried for limited, but I guess we'll see how that plays out. Seth? Um, well, there's certainly a lot of dragons. I will give it that. <laughs> I don't, I don't think I'm the target audience. Like, I'm a spiky player, and this, but this set looks like a huge casual hit. Like, I thought this was gonna be the Avacyn Restored of dragons, and this is way more dragony than Avacyn Restored ever could have been for angels. So, I think a lot of players are gonna love it, uh, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, certainly a ton of dragons. If you haven't read, uh, Seth, wrote an article. It was a very huge, convoluted article, basically trying to super hype his Crucible of the Spirit Dragon <laughs> plus spec. So if you haven't read that, yeah, go read that, because Seth is really super trying to hype that card as much as he can. So let's help him out. Um, so yeah, let's just uh, go right into the individual cards that we wanted to talk about. I will explain the cards in case anyone hasn't seen the text. So we're going to start with the new and improved Sidisi Undead Vizier. Uh, three generic and two black, a 4-6 four, a four, with Death Touch, and the new keyword Exploit. And Exploit is whenever this creature enters the battlefield, you may sacrifice a creature. When Sidisi Undead Vizier exploits a creature, you may search your library for a card, put it into your hand, then shuffle your library. So, Richard, Sidisi. Yeah. Uh, I'm saying this is probably the best card of the set so far. Uh, when this was spoiled, I was talking to Seth, and he was really down on this card, but I thought this card is absolutely broken. Uh, they have not printed Demonic Tutor in Standard in a playable fashion in a long time, and to me, this is it. Uh, it's a 5-mana 4-6. It blocks and kills basically anything. Uh, the Death Touch lets it take down Siege Rhinos and whatnot, uh, even kills a Pelucranos, and... The exploit, where you can just sacrifice your Seder Wayfinder or your Sylvan Karyatid and just demonic tutor something up, like that's that's gotta be broken, right? Like you can get a card to stabilize the board, you can get a card to end the game. So to me, this seems like a standard card that will kind of warp the format. So I expect to see a lot of black green decks playing this, but we'll see how it shows up. Seth. I think I must be the only person in the whole world that isn't <laughs> super impressed with this card. I don't know. To me, when I first saw it, it reminded me of Diabolic Tutor, uh, which is probably the best 
tutor we've had in standard in the last five years, like maybe all the way back to Inferno tutor, which was how many years ago now? Yeah, the body's good. 4-6 is fine, but it's legendary. Like, what happens when you peel your opening hand and you have three of this? Do you just scoop up your cards and say, all right, let's go to game two? Like, I just don't think it's it's fine, but it seems more like something you want to play one of to me than something you're going to jam a full set of. I think the card is great. Don't get me wrong. Like, it's certainly, in this meta right now, it does a lot of things that you want to do. Block Siege Rhinos, as Richard, you mentioned. It, you know, it, it has a really good body with Death Touch. Uh, the problem is, it's like, it's legendary. How many five-mana tutors do you want to be playing? Like, at the very most, like, at the very least, you get to sacrifice itself to tutor. So at the most, you get a 4-6 for 5 mana with, you know, Death Touch, and you can still tutor, which is great. Uh, again, I'm not saying it's bad, but again, I just, maybe a 2 of in any deck that wants to be running this. Like like Seth said, you're not going to be jamming like 4 of this into a deck. I mean, if, if I saw multiples of these, I'd probably cry in the same hand. I mean, I guess you could, at 5 mana, sacrifice one of them to get something else, but that's just like a really bad Diabolic Tutor, isn't it? I think so. Yeah. I mean, it's still good. Like, for for a dead card at five mana, you know, a Diabolic Tutor's not bad, right? So it, yeah, even in the so worst case scenario. But, you know, I, I, I was joking with Seth, like, how long before GFAB takes on an SEG with this card? <laughs> and, you know, I think it's going to happen. I think we're going to see this in a Saltai deck, and we're going to see GFAB play this card on camera. So we'll we'll see how it goes. Yeah, it certainly can fit into, like, Gerard has been playing this, these Sultai brews, but I mean, then they spoiled like cards like Dragon Fodder, and you have, uh, so you have like Dragon Fodder, and then you have Hordling Outburst, and then you could have like this in like a Mardu deck, which seems pretty good to me when you're having all these 1 1 tokens. I mean, obviously the dream would be to sacrifice a token to this to get a, a Diabolic Tutor, which would be great. So I think that could work too. Any kind of final thoughts on Sadissi? Well, I just wanted to say Reed Duke uh, actually published an article today, and he's really high on Sadissi, uh, saying that he thinks it could show up in Modern even. Like, that's how good he thinks this card is. Uh, so I, I definitely admit I could be wrong on this one. Everyone else seems to like it. And uh, when you have people like Reed Duke and Paulo and um, all those guys saying it's a great card, it probably is. Yeah, certainly a great card. I'm not – again, I just – like, it's legendary, and in modern, like, standard for sure, I could definitely see this showing up. Modern, and I'm not going to disagree with pros, obviously they know more about it than me, but, I mean, modern, you're playing, like, really good cards. Like, do you want to, like, sacrifice a Tarmogoyf to this? Like, I don't know. Like, this isn't good on a dead board. Yeah, but you're you're switching Tarmogoyf for the best card in your deck. So, another know, Tarmogoyf. whatever that best card. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, isn't Tarmogoyf, like, really good already? Yeah. The interesting thing is, I think, what did this start pre-sales at, like, a buck, One, 50 cents? 149. Yeah, and I saw a lot of people to, on Twitter, yeah. Yeah, it's up to five bucks on Channel Fireball and eBay, it's like eight bucks, it's like... Yeah, don't even get me... This. Don't even get me started. Oh, my <laughs> God. Yeah, because we're going to get into it when we talk about Narset. Oh, my God. All right, so... <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, <laughs> Dragonlord uh, Silumgar. So he's back. He's better than ever. Uh, he's wearing uh, Tazigur as a necklace. So 
four and a black and a blue, a three five flying death touch, legendary creature Elder Dragon. Uh, when Dragonlord Simulgar enters the battlefield, gain control of target creature or planeswalker for as long as you control Dragonlord. Thoughts, Richard? It's definitely a cool card. Being able to play a big dragon and stealing your opponent's best creature or planeswalker is pretty sweet. It's going to make people think twice about uh, ticking up their planeswalker to ultimate levels because you can then just turn around and Dragonlord and then use the ultimate. Uh, having said that, I don't know if it does enough to be standard playable. Uh, he is wearing Tassiger. Tassiger is obviously really good. Maybe he's better. I don't know. But uh, we'll see how it goes. But I think, you know, as a casual card, this thing is pretty sweet. I think it's going to oh, go yeah. into commander decks. You just, like, suit it up with uh, some hexproof boots and you're good to go. Uh, but we'll see how it plays out in standard. Seth? I think it's got a shot in standard, personally. Um, I don't think it's necessarily a main deck card, but if you see um, the deck that took down the last GP, uh, GP Memphis, I think it was, uh, was another Saltai deck like Fabiano has been playing. And that deck has only Wayfinders in the main deck, but then it has a transformational sideboard package that can bring in Death Dealers, can bring in like uh, three or four different creatures. So I think that uh, Sulmgar could be a great creature that you could bring in post-boarding games two and three after your opponent takes out their removal in, like, a control mirror. And the other thing I like is it's not dead against other control decks. I mean, even if your opponent only has a Wayfinder on board, you can still go after their Garouk or after their Yugen or their Kiora, and you can still get value out of it. So I think it could see play a little bit out of the board. I think it can certainly rear its head in standard. I mean, it's it's well-costed for a card that does something like this. You know, it's definitely bigger than like a Sour of Temptation. Sour? Sour? Um, <laughs> good <laughs> so enough. this seems really good to play after your opponent's playing an Elspeth. You know, I would be, I would do that all day. I mean, they get three tokens, but for six mana, I get a three, five flying death touch and three tokens and your Elspeth. So, you know, I think it's pretty good. Yeah, I can certainly see the transformational package like going on, like you said, Seth. That's not outside the realm of possibility, I don't think. So, any last thoughts, Dragon Lord? So, what are your not- thoughts on the fact that this is an Elder Dragon? You know, Niv Mizzet isn't even an Elder Dragon. This guy's like on the level of Nicol Bolas, I guess Ugin. You know, do, do you think they've kind of diluted the Elder Dragon title, or how do you feel about this title? I mean. The first round of Elder Dragons were like, I don't know, as like a lore standpoint, I don't know how I feel about this because, yeah, you're putting them up like, I don't see these guys like on Nicole Bolas level. That's just me. What do you think, Seth? Well, I'm just disappointed that I don't have to pay three mana every turn to keep them in play. I mean, that's what an <laughs> Elder Dragon is to me. <laughs> I like, yeah. my, my experience with, I didn't play, I don't play EDH. I've never played with Elder Dragons. The only experience I have with them is flipping one in Momir and then having it die on my upkeep because I only have <laughs> <laughs> two types of land in play. So that's my impression of Elder Dragons. Yeah. Wait. <sighs> You know what was really, I mean, we don't have the other, as of right now, 3-5-2015, we don't have the other Planeswalker. I'm assuming it's Sor, uh, Sarkhan because of, like, the packaging and all that, but when I first, when we first, like, didn't know, like, and they released Elder Dragon, I was like, oh, are we going to get, like, another Nicole Bolas, like, Planeswalker? That would be pretty cool. 
because they're like revealing all these elder dragons. Like Koboas, like has to be part of this, right? I mean, I don't think it's going to happen, but we'll see. So that brings us to Thunderbreak Region, and this is the uh, game day promo. So just to break it down for you guys, so Thunderbreak Region is a two generic, two red for four four flying. Whenever dragon, whenever a dragon you control becomes the target of a spell or ability your opponents control, Thunderbreak Regent deals three damage to that player. Yes, I think Thunderbreak Regent, he's a four mana, four four flyer, and then when you target him, you get a lava spike. So I feel like this is standard playable. It's going to go into aggressive red decks or maybe, you know, uh, red mid-range strategies. So this is definitely playable. Uh, the question is, will there be a deck to put this in? And it seems pretty versatile, so I'm, I'm going to say yes. So I expect to see this in standard. I expect to see it in you know red green monster builds. You can do you can live the dream and curve Thunderbreak Regent into Stormbreath Dragon, and your opponent will just like die trying to remove any of the dragons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think this is the real deal, and it is a promo card, so you can get a sweet full uh you know full art card. So Seth, what do you think, Thunderbreak Regent? Well, I mean, people seem to like it. That's another one of the cards I've been keeping an eye on, and uh, people have been buying it. It's sold out now for up to $5 after starting off. I don't remember exactly where it started, at least a couple bucks below that. As far as seeing playing standard, I'm not 100% sure where it fits. I like that it sort of has haste, because if you play it and it dies immediately, you still get the three damage out of it. So I think it's got a shot. I'm not sure if it'll be alongside Storm Breath or be after rotation. I guess we'll see. I'm not the best at evaluating red aggro cards. That's far from my wheelhouse. Yeah, I think you've mentioned before that you don't like mono red, (laughs) (laughs) especially in modern. A few times. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it has the game day promo. I don't know if that really caps its, you know, overall price. I mean, $4.99, I mean, it's getting sold, so I don't know. I mean... What's it really competing against in the four mana slot for like red based aggro decks? I mean, I guess Ash, Ash Cloud. Yeah, Ash Cloud. So, I mean, long term, cons rotates before Dragons of Tarkir, right? Right. So, I guess like, I mean, that's a long time before then to not have like a four mana drop in red. I don't know. I, I, I'm really up in the air with this card. I, I think it's good enough. I just don't know, like, good... I mean, good cards have not seen play before. I mean, Underworld Cerberus, right? But no. That's... That's... <laughs> that's yeah, good cards. <laughs> yeah. I mean, sometimes good cards seem good, and then they're just not that good. Or yeah. Right, yeah. Yep. So, we'll have to see. I, I think the wait-and-see policy is going to have to come in with this with the uh, Thunderbreak region. All right, so, moving right along to a mythic shaman of the of forgotten ways two and a green for a two three uh human shaman which richard is <laughs> not liked apparently <laughs> add two mana of any combination of colors to your mana pool spend this mana only to cast creature spells and as a formidable for nine generic and two green each player's life total becomes the n- number of creatures he or she controls, activate this ability only if creatures you control have total power 8 or greater. So, Richard, Shaman. 
Yeah, so this should be an elf. I don't know why it's a shaman. Like, <laughs> making massive amounts of mana is an elf thing, so that rubs me the wrong way. But, you know, this is not standard playable. I don't think you want a 3-mana 2-3 that, you know, gives you 2 mana. But people on Twitter uh, in the EDH community have been calling for a ban. It's basically Biorhythm on a stick, and Biorhythm is a ban card. So apparently Biorhythm is really good, and this does it. Whether it should be banned or not, I don't know. Like you can remove it. There's a you know there's a one turn window where everyone has a chance to try to get this out of the way. Uh, so I don't think it's that bad. But you know the EDH community is salivating over this card. So we'll we'll see how it sh- how it plays out. Yeah, Seth, what do you think of the shaman? Well, I think you got to play it in standard alongside Crucible of the Spirit Dragon. Then you have three mana of three different colors you can uh, use to spend dragons on. Oh, my God. <laughs> no, I, I'm kidding. I don't think it's... I don't know. I don't think it's a great card. Um, there was... Uh, what was it? Somberwald Sage, which added three mana only for creatures that saw a bit of play back in Avacyn Restored, but it wasn't anywhere near a staple. I don't play EDH. I'm sure it's probably cool in that format, but I, I wouldn't have any idea. So I don't think it's he's playing standard, though, unless some really fringe deck pops up for a little while and then disappears. I mean, we would have to have... I mean, Hoof, there it is, was the deck. I'm pretty sure. That's, I, think the, I think you're right. Yeah, that was the, that was the one. It was, it was a good deck. I mean, like, you would... With these types of cards... I mean, like, we're going to compare it to the Somberwald stage, right? But, I mean, Somberwald was an 0-1. And, you know, this is at least as a 2-3. He can block... It does have technically a win condition, you know, tacked onto him. I mean, I don't know. If you're going to have creatures total power 8 or greater, I'm assuming you're doing pretty well in that game. But it could just kill them outright. So I don't know. Maybe in standard, definitely in EDH. I mean, it's it's pretty good there. Uh, But I'll defer to other, you know, EDH aficionados. But it seems pretty good for EDH for sure. I don't know if it gets banned because, like, I mean, like, Biorhythm is a spell. This is a creature. I mean, creatures are always easier to deal with in terms of, like, EDH. And, again, it's like a very... I mean, you need 8 power on the field for it to even go off anyway. And it's still 10 mana. And you can't even use the mana the Shaman makes to trigger the ability. Yeah, that's my thoughts on Shaman. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think maybe... Would this combo off with, like, Sanguine Bond... Is that, like, why is Biorhythm broken in EDH? Do any of you guys know? Really? I mean, it's a green wind condition that is a spell. I mean, you can have one creature out, and they have none, and you win. Well, I guess that's, yeah, I mean, I guess that's fair. Yeah, green doesn't really have, like, spells like that. Yeah, and you just make an elf ball, right? Like, you have ten creatures, and, you know, you overrun, and you Biorhythm. People have five features down to five life and you just kill them all, right? So I, I think yeah. it is overpowered. But the fact that this is on a creature, anyone can remove it. So Yeah. And like I said, like the the mana he produces doesn't even help you with the activation cost. So I mean effectively like take two mana off and you still have to like you still have to get eleven mana. I mean that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, but it's EDH. I'm sure you can get to 11 mana. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I mean 11. I mean 11 mana is still 11 mana, and like this guy doesn't help you at all to do his own ability. So I don't know. I don't think it should be banned. I think it's good, but again, I'm not an EDH aficionado, so don't uh 
Just take what I say with a grain of salt. So now we're moving on to Lightning Berserker. So Lightning Berserker is a one red for a one one human berserker with fire breathing. So one red Lightning Berserker gets plus one plus zero until end of turn and has a dash. So for one red, uh, the dash is you may pay, you may cast a spell for its dash cost if you do. It gains haste and is returned from the battlefield to uh, its owner's hand at the beginning of the next end step. So Richard, Lightning Berserker. I'm very excited for this card. So this is how you tell I'm a Spike and not a John. You know, <laughs> yeah. Fireball buyback on a stick. I think that's like the perfect compromise. Um, you know, people will have to play instant speed removal to take care of this. And if they don't, you're going to have a great mana sink for your aggressive red decks. So I expect this card to be played a lot. I expect to see a lot of it on week one. Um, you know, if I had to play in an FNM, uh, when the set is released, I'm going to be jamming Mono Red and Lightning Berserker is just going to slot right in there. So I think this is a great card. I know you don't like red cards, but uh, what do you think, Seth? <laughs> well, I, I think I will probably die to this a lot of times. Um, <laughs> it reminds me a lot of Stonerite from Avacyn Restored, which was a one-drop Soulbound guy that granted and gave uh, himself Fire Breathing when you Soulbounded it. Yep. So I think it's similar to that. I mean, this uh, this new one is obviously a little better, probably, because you can dash it in. It seems awesome to have a card that's decent on turn one, but if you flood out and against the empty board on, like, turn eight, you can just fireball them out of nowhere. So, I mean, I think it has potential, whatever that's worth, me being uh, very far from a red player. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm very excited for this card, too. Uh, so I'm in, I totally agree with Richard. It's a great card, and I'm probably going to be casting this card a lot uh, <laughs> come standard. It's really good. Again, I like creatures. You know, red and, and just aggro-based strategies are always looking for creatures that do something, you know, and this card definitely does that something. It's, uh, a, one man, it's a one drop that just gets better as the game goes on and in, in an open, you know, it, off the top if you're in top deck mode. It's a great card to just dash, and you always at least have a dash threat that you can fire breathe with any extra mana that you have in red. It's a very good card. I mean, I can't say that enough, and that's all I can really say about this card, that um, I think red-based strategies are going to be playing it, for sure. Let's keep moving down the list. So that brings us to the Dragonlord Colagan, and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so um, we'll let Seth talk about his little story about this card in a second. So, Dragonlord Colagan, four generic, a black and a red, uh, six five flying haste, and other creatures you control have haste. <laughs> Whenever an opponent casts a creature or planeswalker spell with the same name as a card in his or her graveyard, that player loses ten life. So. Well, actually, we'll start with you, Seth, and uh, why why is this so funny, Seth? Well, well, I basically, <laughs> when I read the card, to me, it felt like a slap in the face from Wizards with them saying, you're too stupid to know that if it gave all your creatures haste, the dragon itself would have haste. Like, every, like if you look back through Magic, uh, Archbound, wa not Archbound, uh, Maelstrom Wanderer, uh, several cards, all the cards with this effect, they say, Creatures you control have haste, and you just naturally know that, oh, since this is a creature, that too has haste. So it rubbed me the wrong way that they felt it necessary to give Dragon Lord Colgan haste himself. 
Um, so I wrote that and put some videos of people getting their face slapped in my article. And um, then everyone yelled at me and said, it's for Soul Flayer. That's the reason Wizards wants to have another way to have haste in the graveyard for Soul Flayer. And is Soul Flayer really, like, are they really designing magic sets to make Soul Flayer good? Like, is that is R&D sitting around saying, hmm, we need more haste in the graveyard for Soul Flayer? Uh, I don't know. You know, just a, a little off track here before we get into your response, Richard. You know, I was saying that the entire time, and I, I'm, it's funny that you say that, like, are we designing sets for Soul Flayer? I said, like, did they design the entire Theros block? It's all based on enchantments. But I don't think there was a single enchantment that made Sarah's Sanctum, like, any better than what it was. It felt like someone was, like, standing over people and being like, hey, listen, don't make that enchantment any better than it already is because it'll make Sarah's Sanctum better. We don't want that. So stop it. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess, yeah, we get, they gave it haste just for Soul Flare. You're right. Yeah. So that's shame on you, Seth, for it's not knowing shame that. On me. Shame on me, yes. Yeah. Um, Richard, what do you think about the Dragon Lord? I want to break its second ability. Like, if you can hit for six and deal ten damage with that second ability, that's 16 damage for six mana, and that would be pretty sweet. But I don't know how you would break it. You need to... I don't know. Is there some kind of entomb effect you can target your opponent with? Can you flash this in in response to something? You need Aether Vial? Like, I don't know how you could break this, but Wait, I want to see someone break this. What about worse fears? What if you take your opponent's turn and make them cast things that are in their graveyard? Hey, that would be sweet. It could happen. Going that's, deep. Yeah, I mean, that's... I don't know Mind how valuable flavor. that is. But <laughs> yeah, hey, EDH. No, it doesn't even work in EDH, so... <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work in EDH. That's, that's what people are complaining about. Like, why would you print this, like, six-mana mythic dragon and not be playable in EDH? I really think it should be any spell and not just creatures and planeswalkers. Like, the card would be a lot better if you could play it and your opponent couldn't heroes downfall it because there was already one in their graveyard because they'd have yeah. to take ten. Like, that having it only sense. be creatures makes it a lot worse. Yeah, like, that, yeah. That, that's too overpowered, man. Like, <laughs> if your opponent has any removal in their yard, you play this. This thing is basically immune, right? Like, you can have a metagame where people play, like, multiple spells. You know, like, worst versions of each removal spell to dodge Colligan. So, <laughs> I, I think Creatures and Planeswalker keeps it balanced. The Colligan-dominated uh, standard where, you know, you're playing, like, every single different <laughs> removal just so you don't lose 10 life. Yeah, it's like an EDH deck. It's all 100-card singleton. <laughs> <laughs> because you don't want to get wrecked by Dragonlord Colgan. <laughs> yeah, that would be some sick, bizarro world where this is suddenly, like, defining standard <laughs> as we know it. All right, so so that's um, a, a pretty good Dragon Lord. So we talked about Silumgar. There's Cole again. Uh, but that now we're going to talk about the card. And um, yeah, oh my god. All right, so let's get into this Narset Transcendent, the Planeswalker that has been spoiled. It's pretty good. So two generic and two white. Starts with six loyalty. Her plus one, uh, look at the top card of your library. If it's a non-creature, non-land card, you may reveal it and put it into your hand. Minus two, when you cast your, your next instant or sorcery spell from your hand this turn, it gains rebound. And minus nine, 
you get an emblem with your opponents can't cast non-creature spells. So, <laughs> I don't want to start with my sad story. So just uh, or, or just like my disbelief with this card in general. So, Richard, what do you think about Narset? Yeah. So when I first read this card, I basically saw four mana, six loyalty, and some stuff that lets you draw or double up your instants. So I immediately thought Legacy. I was like, oh my god, do we actually get a Legacy Planeswalker? But then I spent 10 seconds and thought about it, and this is just worse than Jace. Jace, the Mind Sculptor, is just way better, and I'm not sure any deck is looking for Jace number 5 and 6. So immediately that goes. And I went back to Standard, and I think it's a good card. I think you would play it, but it's a build-around-me card. It's good in, like, Domri was good. You had to build a very specific deck to enable him. And you can't just jam this into any deck that's playing uh, white and blue. And I think Seth's hit, you know, hit the nail on the head when he said this goes into Jeskai Tokens. That's the most natural home for this card. You could do something like turn four, stoke the flames with the minus two to deal eight damage. So that's pretty nuts. You can minus two a treasure cruise. Uh, so I think it's a good card, but I think people are overhyping it. I don't think it's a $50 card. It's not going to go into every single deck. Uh, it's going to have a very specific home in Standard. So, Seth, you wrote an article highlighting Narset. Just talk about a little bit, uh, if listeners haven't read your article, and just explain a little further what, what you think about this Planeswalker. Well, I mean, a lot of what Richard said uh, describes how I feel about it. It's I think it's a good card. It's definitely limited in what decks it'll fit in. Like, from what I remember about Domri, which Kibler made the comparison that Narset is basically a reverse Domri because you're uh, looking for spells instead of creatures, you really want to have, like, at least 25 and up to 30 cards that you can hit with the plus one ability before it consistently becomes good in your deck. So we're really looking for a deck that is playing close to 30 spells, and there's really not too many of them out there. In Standard, it's really the Jeskai token deck. I thought a little bit that maybe it could work in control, but rebounding counter spells is pretty bad. <laughs> like there's, it's, yeah. it doesn't rebounding wraths isn't that great. You really want to be doing something proactive with the rebound ability, where you're uh, casting lightning bolts or lightning strikes and doubling up on that damage. A more interesting debate to me is modern. I thought the card might have a shot. Um, is maybe a one or two of in, like, the U-White-Red control decks, which also have, like, 30 spells in them. But some people have been pointing out that, is it really better uh, than Karanos? Like, Karanos kind of does the same thing, where it gives you damage and draws you cards, but it's a lot harder to kill, even than a Planeswalker that comes in with 7 loyalty. So, we touch on finance stuff here, and, you know, I made a tweet. I was like, so, under $20, I'm auto-buying. And then the pre-sales started at $29.99. And now I thought that was pretty steep. And I was, I was honestly really considering it, which is, you know, full disclosure for me. And that was way over, like, I was, I was mulling it over. I was like, well, if they, you know, I, don't, I want to auto buy it at under 20. If they put it at $24.99, it's like, oh, like it's not under 20, but do I still buy it? Then they started at $29.99. And it's been selling out ever since and bringing it up to now forty nine ninety nine and it's still sold out. Do I think it's a fifty dollar planeswalker, like Richard mentioned? No. I mean, it's very good. And I don't want to really make comparisons. I mean, 
you know, when you play a game for a long time, I mean, obviously you have Jason Mind Sculptor. It's very good. as four abilities. But, I mean, over the course of time, they're going to have to make something close to powerful. And I think this is it. I mean, it's very good for in its colors. I mean, seven loyalty, if you take it up, I mean, that is its protection. Or you play it on turn five and you lightning bolt something and, you know, it gets rid of anything that would have really tried to kill it anyway. And it still has four loyalty. So I don't know. I'm, I'm up in the air with this card. It's very good. Don't get me wrong. Uh, do I think it's Jace the Mind Sculptor? No, obviously. I mean, Richard, do, I mean, like you said, in, in Legacy specifically, what would really be wanting this card right now? I mean, Miracles, doesn't, isn't this a, like a Nambo with Miracles? Uh, you would never want this card. Jace is always better. Like, Jace is unconditionally better. So, like, unless you're some kind of weird burn deck, like, I don't know why you would play this. So, this is definitely a no-no for Legacy. Um, unless you have some, like, weird unknown combo that no one's ever seen before yeah now i think it i mean you're never really going to jam like four even like maybe even three maybe three of these i mean but like two seems like the sweet spot for this because you know it may not die often uh, stands like a hero's downfall or anything like that but um if you could really play around this you're probably going to want two because i mean by the time you get this online you're ideally going to be wanting i mean in modern you're going to have Lightning Bolt and Lightning Helix to take care of, like, anything that can really deal with this in the first place. So, I don't know. It's very good. I mean, is it forty nine ninety nine good? Well, I mean, if we look back at our conversation we're having, it sounds like we've come to the conclusion it's probably a two-of that fits in a limited amount of decks, definitely in Standard, maybe in Modern, and definitely not in Legacy. To me, that doesn't sound like a $50 card. That sounds like a $20 card. Yeah. I mean, Domri even saw, like, kind of the same thing. I mean, it's not Liliana of the Veil. Yeah, but I you think know, you I guys don't... are underestimating the casual appeal. Like, this is a cool card. Oh, yeah, right? like, for sure. It's yeah. sweet art. It does weird things. And do you think most people buying this are trying to slam it into their cube or their EDH deck, or are they trying to build a deck for F&M? Like I would think it's the the casual players, right? But I don't know. Uh. I mean, we don't have the full spoiler right now, and something has to be soaking up all the value, and I'm pretty still convinced that this is it. So it could just be $50 on its own just because there's nothing else to, you know, that has really, like, that's commanding a lot of value. I mean, spe- speaking of casual, isn't this set the craziest casual set they've ever printed? Like, yeah. every rare I see in this set and every mythic, I look at it and think, eh, it's probably not going to be good in standard, but that's going to be worth money, like, three years from now if they don't reprint it. Like, all the dragons, the planeswalker, there's zombies. Like, this is, like, the ultimate, like, greatest hits of casual creature types and casual <laughs> creatures. Yeah, I still think, like, she's going to soak up a lot of the value of this set. And this set's only being drafted for, what, eight weeks? Uh, Yeah, right around there. Yeah, that's usually that's lower than most sets, right? It is. It is about a month shorter than the typical draft cycle. So, I mean, there's a lot of good things going for her in terms of, like, a price. On the other hand, though, this seems like a kind of set that uh, someone that might not have been interested in Theros or even Return to Ravnica because it's so spiky is going to go right. out and buy, like, some casual player that just really likes dragons 
probably will go out and buy a box of this when they might not with a lot of other sets. So that could bump the supply up just because of the casual appeal like Richard hinted at. That's true. I mean, there is a lot of EDH and, like, casual, you know, kitchen top table hits. So that could, like, cap Narset. But, I mean, you know, there is supplemental product. Who knows? They could have, like, a Narset verse set. You never know. I mean, I don't know. That would be cool. I mean, she has six loyalty for a reason. I saw that on Twitter somewhere is that why would they give her six loyalty? Maybe, you know, maybe not modern, but, like, standard you know, maybe she's going to need it because she's going to, I mean, there's the format is going to be shifting in a way that maybe seven loyalty isn't really going to be saving her. She's got to survive uh, Dragon Lord Colgan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you cast another Narset, you take 10 damage. <laughs> that's, that's, that's why she's got to survive. So she doesn't go in the graveyard. <laughs> for, oh my, it, it's one big conspiracy for Dragon Lord Colgan standard. Is it 10 damage or lose 10 life? It's ten. They lose ten life. Uh, so you can't redirect it to Narset for the double. No. <laughs> yeah. Any more Narsets get totally axed by the Dragon Lord. <laughs> no more Narsets. All right. So yeah, if you want to read more, Seth wrote on MTGGoldfish.com a great piece on some of the spoilers so far, Narset included. So there's some more thoughts there about the card. In terms of time, we have to keep going. So uh, that brings us to Risen Executioner. And it was spoiled in, uh, I think it was Italian or something like that. But I have the text for you. Uh, so Risen Executioner, two generic, uh, double black, zombie warrior. Risen Executioner can't block. And other zombie creatures you control get plus one, plus one. You may cast Risen Executioner from your graveyard if you pay an additional one for each other creature in your graveyard for three. So I'll hand this off to Richard first. So I actually like this card, uh, unlike what you guys are going to say about it, <laughs> because I think it's a cool build-around-me card. It's the first card that rewards you uh, by playing with your graveyard, but not really. Like, you want this to be the only thing in your graveyard, and you don't want other creatures. So it goes really well with Delve cards. It goes well with Empty the Pits. So it's it's a graveyard strategy where you're rewarded for not playing a graveyard strategy. So I think that's a very cool concept, and it's another zombie lord. Like, who doesn't want zombie lords, right? So I think it's a cool thing. It it kind of, quote-unquote, wastes the mythic slot, but I think these are the cards that get players hooked into magic, so I think it's a good thing that it's it's here. Seth, what do you think? Um, I'm not a fan. I, I don't think this <laughs> is the card that puts uh, Empty the Pits over the top in standard. Um, I'm not sure there is a card that will put Empty the Pits over the top in standard. Uh, it can't block. Like, it can't block. I was thinking about it last night, and I was like, where would I want to play this? And I think Richard's right. You want a Delve deck. But my first thought was something like Sadisi Whip, and you're going to need Tron out to cast this guy from your graveyard. Like, paying an extra mana for every creature, that's a high cost. Like, this isn't a grave crawler. This isn't um, a blood gas that's just going to pop back from your graveyard in a lot of instances. So I don't know. I think it's it's cool. Casual players will like it because casual players like every zombie lord. But I don't really see it in standard. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree. And I guess Richard was right because <laughs> I guess we both don't like it. If you're just going to use it with just grave crawler, it's like still not even good. <laughs> because like your grave crawlers are in your graveyard, but, like, you need this in play, but if this dies, you can't play your grave crawlers because you need a zombie in play. It's like, it doesn't make sense for it to get 
to give other zombies plus one plus one when zombies are in your graveyard it makes this more like i don't understand i don't know (laughs) (laughs) i just don't like it that's all i know it's cool it's cool don't get me wrong i like the design it is like interesting i wouldn't like opening it in a pack (laughs) that mythic that's for sure it's a bad standard card but i think it's a very cool like card in terms of design yeah, so, and hopefully someone breaks it. Maybe someone's gonna play four of these, and we'll see some really weird off the chain deck. Who knows? Yeah, if someone breaks this in standard, I'll eat a risen executioner. <laughs> All right, we got that. <laughs> We're recorded. holding you to that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'll make a video. I'll just straight up eat it. <laughs> <laughs> so moving right along, that brings us to Atarka's command, and it was recently spoiled. So uh, one green, one red. Instant, choose two. Your opponents can't gain life this turn. Atarka's command deals three damage to each opponent. You may put a land card from your hand onto the battlefield, and creatures you control get plus one, plus one, and gain reach until end of turn. So, interesting. Richard, what do you think? This card is very interesting. Um, You know, a lot of people are looking at it as kind of a skull crack, which it, it does. You know, you can't gain life and it deals three damage. But I think the most intriguing aspect is the fact that you can play a land at instant speed, and it's untapped. So effectively, if you have a land in hand, this is a one-mana spell. And I don't know if there are ways to play instant speed lands, but I'm sure you can break this in eternal format somehow. Like, you know, doing a Dark Depths combo at instant speed seems good, right? Like, just randomly throw in a Wasteland or a Maze of Ith on your opponent's turn. Like, who expects that, right? So it's a very interesting card, and... It does enough on its own, like a Skullcrack is a playable card, that yeah, I can see it, it going into a lot of decks, and you're going to see some weird stuff happening with this. What format would this most likely... Like, standard for sure, probably. Modern, probably. You know, maybe? Probably? I mean, do you need another Skullcrack in Modern? If you do, this would be it, right? So, I guess. Yeah, and at worst, you make a land drop, and it's a lightning bolt, right? It's a one-mana spell, if you make a land drop with it. Right, and you know yeah. it's also an explore at instant speed. So what can you do with explore? So I think there, there's like this can go in many, many decks, which is why I really like it. It goes in the straight burn decks. It can go into combo decks. It can even go into like a mid range deck. So I think this has applications everywhere, which is very exciting. Seth, what do you think? Well, I mean, I think it's gonna see play in standard and modern just as a skull crack. Like just another skull crack is probably good enough. I don't know what else you can do with it. It's I'm sure there's some cool thing to do with the land. Uh, someone, I think it might have been Travis Allen on Twitter, said that he thought the primary purpose was to instant speed in Ravnica bounce lands to counter wastelands when they target you, so you can pick up your land. Um, hmm. I I think he might be joking, but <laughs> <laughs> but um, but there's got to be something. Like I can't think of another card that puts lands into play at instant speed untapped. So. I don't know. It's unique. I mean, on its face, it's a skull crack. But if you dig a bit deeper, there's probably something cool to do with it. I just don't know what it is. Yeah. So legacy, like there's lands, right? Does lands want this? So I don't know enough about lands. Like, I don't know what cards are flexible and what you can take out. But it seems like having an explorer is good, right? That's basically a time walk, right? If you play next to your land, you basically got a, a, a full turn. Um, I know they don't play like four explorers. So their deck is pretty tight and streamlined, so I don't know if it's going to fit in there, but, you know, if there's a deck in Legacy that's going to break this, it's, it's got to be lands, right? Like, you basically instant speed time walk. 
like for the lands deck. So yeah, if they can do something with that, then they're golden, right? And well, there are a lot of good lands too in Legacy. So you know, it's not like you're just dropping a plains or something into play. You're dropping in like a very powerful land. Doesn't lands have exploration or something already where they can just empty their hand of lands anyway, though, for like one mana? Yeah, but so, it's not instant speed, right? No, I think it's no, I think it's an enchantment, so it's not instant speed. So you could dodge wasteland. Like if someone has a wasteland up, you know, I may tap my wasteland for mana if I don't think you're doing anything useful. But you can instant speed a Tarkus command. Hmm. So I, I don't know. I don't actually know. I'm not a lands player. Um, but my understanding is their deck is pretty streamlined. So I don't know if there's something you would cut to put this in. But it, you know, this is a reasonable place to quote unquote explore, right? Yeah. Yeah. No pun. But yeah, I guess there's not a lot of lands players unless you have like the upfront for tabernacles and stuff like that, right? Richard <laughs> tends to run into them, right, Richard? Yeah, I got I got crushed by. <laughs> oh, well, I guess there are some land players out there. There are um, a lot of people that love inflicting pain on others. <laughs> land yeah. sort of... So moving right along, we have another mythic. I like this one actually. So Ojutai exemplars, two generic, two white, four four. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, choose one. Tat target creature. Ojutai Exemplars gains first strike and lifelink until end of turn. Or exile Ojutai's Exemplars, then return it to the battlefield tapped under its owner's control. I think you commented on this, right, Seth? Uh, Have you? I, you gonna... I haven't yet. Okay, so uh, I thought you were going to... I'm pretty sure you were going to write something about this, right? I, I, I do like it. I was talking to Richard about it earlier. I haven't got around to writing the article yet. I told him, and now I might be way off base, but in some ways it reminds me a little bit of Etherling with the ability to get in for damage and then cast a spell, flicker it out, and play defense as well. Like, I think that it can be a very good card in standard. Like, there's a lot of text on there, and a lot of it's very good. My only concern is the 4-4 body gets blanked by a lot of things that C play. Like, if it got uh, first strike in flying or flying in lifelink instead of uh, just some form of evasion. So my worry is you're going to play it, and it's going to just get blanked by Siege Rhinos. But mm-hmm. I think it's got potential just because it's so hard to kill. Like, you can leave up any spell and blank all your opponent's removal and block forever against anything. So that's my take on it. I think it's going to be a very good card, one way or another. Yeah. In standard... I think this just gets walled by, like, Tazigur and Siege Rhino too much. I like the card, don't get me wrong, but um, maybe it's just a slip-up on your part. But, I mean, you can't really play defense with it other than tapping creatures because it comes into Battlefield tapped when you blink it. Oh. So. Oh, you know what? I totally take that back then. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> good, thing, good thing I'm talking to you, Chaz, because I skipped right over that word tap. Um, yeah, I don't like this card anymore. Uh, okay well i guess that sums that up uh richard yeah even if it comes into play untapped i still don't like it um it is not a control finisher like you you don't have infinite spells and mana in your hand to kind of blink it out whenever you need like what what would you cast right you would have to be casting instant speed card draw so how much of that do we have in standard Right? You obviously don't want to play like God's Willing and stuff like that, right? Because then its ability does nothing. So I don't think it's a control finisher, but I think it could fit into some kind of white mid-range strategy. If you curve Monastery Mentor into Ojutai Exemplars and use its offensive abilities, using its tap 
and its uh, lifelink to race, I think it could be a thing. Um, but I definitely don't see it as some kind of control finisher where you're running two of these in your deck. It's definitely not an ethling, but yeah. it's a bigger monastery mentor. Yeah, certainly an interesting card. I like it. I don't know if it's going to see play right off the bat because, yeah, I mean, just like this staring down like a Siege Rhino or like a Tazigar, and it's just, just like it's just going to sit there. I mean, it could tap it, but it can't really play defense too well. And like you said, Richard, I mean, you need a lot of spells to do stuff with this. Moving right along, so uh, we have this listed as the dinosaur. So I'm just going to leave it as the dinosaur. So Shakiri Raptor, one generic double green lizard beast, has death touch. Uh, whenever another permanent you control is turned face up, you may return Shakiri Raptor from the graveyard face up or face down, and it has a megamorph. Woo, yeah. Four generic uh, green. You may cast this card face down as a 2-2 creature for three, turn it up at any time for its megamorph cost, and put a plus one, plus one counter on it. So, uh, Richard. Yeah, so Dinosaur. It's, a very, it's a very cool card. You know, we're, we're getting the new Jurassic Park movie this summer. Maybe Wizards has paid off, but <laughs> who doesn't like dinosaurs, right? Standard playability, probably not there. It, it kind of sucks. Uh, I don't know if there's <laughs> enough playable morphs to even build around. But the fact that it's mythic is a bit odd. Like, it's going to be the nuts in limited, right? Like, you can keep bringing this back. It has death touch, and every morph creature you play just, like, brings it back. So I can understand it from a, you know, power balance perspective. But, you know, as a player, I'd be a bit disappointed opening this up as a mythic, you know, if I'm just cracking a pack at F&M or something. Um, but who knows? Maybe the fact that it's a dinosaur is enough to uh, overcome that. Seth? Well, I'm not going to play it on principle just because I hate the name Megamorph. Um, so so it's not going to be in any of my decks. But yeah, it's, I don't think it's very good. I think it's, I keep feel like I'm saying this every card, every mythic, but casual <laughs> players are going to love it. Like there's someone out there that's going to want to build some crazy morph deck and they're probably going to want this card. But I don't know. I can't really see it doing anything in standard. Maybe, I mean, Mastery of the Unseen has kind of been on an upswing lately. Maybe someone brews with it, but the payoff just isn't that great. Like a 3-3 a three, three for 3 or a 4-4 four, four for whatever when you unmorph it isn't, like, it's not that much of a payoff to draw you into building a whole morph deck. Uh, I just don't think it's that good. Yeah, this is pretty bad. <laughs> um, but guys, it looks I mean, like the Predator. <laughs> plus yeah. like a snake and a dinosaur how can it be bad <laughs> yeah i you know i would have to go with the theory that like jurassic park paid off wizard to put this in their in the set uh, it's just just this is just bad best case scenario you have a 4-4 with death touch like oh uh, i don't know yeah it's just really bad i don't I, it's just bad i don't understand like i would hate to open this yeah that's like one of those cards you just rip in half like i don't or 13 dollar pre-order Oh my god! <laughs> it is a mythic. What? It really it, it, no. It, it actually, it's actually pre-ordering for more than uh, Risen Executioner, which is only about nine. <laughs> oh my god! But it was just spoiled this morning, so I don't know. Maybe there's some crazy thing I'm not seeing. And if you guys want to tweet at us or leave comments that there's something that we're not seeing with this Raptor, please like comment or tweet at us. I'm just not seeing it. It's just. Super bad. And that's, I guess, all I can say on the matter. So, moving right along, um, (laughs) 
we have uh, Zergo, and he's back. He's ringing some bells this time. Zergo, be- Zergo, sorry, Bell Striker, one red for a two-two. Zergo Bell Striker can't block creatures with power two or greater, and he has a dash. So for one generic and a red, you cast the spell for its dash cost. If you do, it gains haste and is returned from the battlefield to its owner's hand at the beginning of the next end step. So, Richard. This is a very sweet card. It's bad goblin guide. You know, it. So if you top deck it, it has dash. So it, it behaves like a goblin guide. Um, but it's also a one mana 2 2, so it doesn't get it on the first turn, but you don't have the potential for giving your opponent a land. And the, the biggest downside is it's legendary, uh, meaning you can't curve, you know, Bell Striker into Bell Striker, Bell Striker. Um, but I think for standard, it's still pretty good. Like, it's. It's a bad goblin guide, which is perfectly reasonable for standard and red deck wins. And it's also a warrior. So it could make warrior decks better. It combos with the new Arashian Foremost, the guy that gives warriors double strike when he attacks or enters the battlefield. So I think this is an awesome card. I think we're going to see it in standard. It's going to go alongside with the the Fireball and a Stick Lightning Berserker. And we're going to see a lot of people getting beaten down by Bell Strikers. Seth... I know it's a red card, but <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> well, well, my question is, how many of them can you actually play in your deck? Right? From what I know of red decks, uh, mostly from losing to them, what you want to do is play a one-drop, then preferably play two one-drops on turn two, and if that's a goblin guide, you're getting in for a ton of damage before your opponent can do anything. Zergo, because it's legendary, you can't do that. So I think you'll see play, but... Can you really play four of these in a mono red deck like you could Fire Drinker Satter or whatever other red one drop, Jackal Pup? <laughs> I mean, can you really do that? Or is this something where you play one or two of them and when you draw it, great. When you don't, oh well. I, you know, someone who plays like aggro, I think this could be like a two of. I mean, like, it's still one mana two two. And, you know, one mana two twos are fine in red. You don't want to draw more than one because obviously. It's legendary. So I think two is fine. I think it could see play. I mean, it's not going to be like anything crazy or anything, but yeah, I think it's fine. You guys are so down on this card. <laughs> like, No, I... Well, it, it, no, it'll it's die, a, right? Like, if your opponent's not killing Zergo Bell Striker, then you're probably winning. If they kill it, then you play your second legendary one, right? Like, it's not. The end yeah, of- I guess, but it's like, you still have... I mean, you still... You're going to be wanting to play four of the Lightning Berserker for sure. Yeah. And... You know, do you play this as a four of? I mean, I I guess you can, but I, like then you have an opening hand. If you have two of these in your opening hand, it's like one less spell that you could have drawn that does something right away. And, you know, then you're getting into that weird, like, you know, you just basically have like a dead hand and you need them to actually kill the Zergo Bell Striker so you can play your second one. Well, I mean, so. what... I mean, say you play four of them, and you start with, God forbid, three of them in your opening hand, and on turn two, your opponent goes, Sylvan carry added, go. What do you do? Like, just sit there with the, a mold of four? <laughs> I mean, the Bell Strikers, it's not getting in, right? And it's, you can't play the other ones, because they'll legend themselves. So I think it's risky, especially with things like carry added out there, to play too many of these. I think yeah. it'll see play because two twos or two X's for one almost always see play, especially in red or black. So it'll see play. I just don't know if it can see X4 play. 
So the question is, how many Isamarus did people play back in the day? That's the one mana two two white legendary hound. Did they play four yeah. of those things? Um, I'd have to check. I'm pretty sure, yeah. Yeah, but I'm gonna it, go it, with yes. The downside is not that bad, if if that's the case, right? Well, that's before people knew how to play Magic. <laughs> that's so long ago. <laughs> I don't know. I, it's going to depend on what other one-drops are available in the format, but I'd be perfectly happy jamming a bunch of these on my deck. Like, they... Like, if you look at the current slide decks, they're all X1s, meaning a Seder Wayfinder, like, stonewalls your offense. Right? So at least this guy attacks over the Seder Wayfinder. So yeah. he has some upside to him. So this was a deckless pulled, and I'm just reading this on the wiki... So they played four Savannah Lions and three uh, Isamarus back in like like the Ravnica, Kami like these like the where, where you had like Char, Lightning Helix, Flames of the Blood Hand, Shock. Yeah. So I, it was the Kami Ravnica uh, standard. So they were playing three Isamarus. Well, that sounds right though. That's I mean that basically says you'll draw one out of every twenty cards. So about what every uh, two or three opening hands you should have one. But yeah. your odds of having two of them are also way less than if you're playing a full four. So I think yeah. the idea is you really want to have one in your opening hand, but you don't ever really want to have two. Right. Yep. But like model red aggro right now. So you have the foundry. You have foundry street denizen, monastery swiss sphere, and fire drinker Seder. Like which one goes? Fire drinker. Fire drinker. I mean, fire fire drinker is really only- bad against other aggressive decks. Yeah, it is, but it's also really good against Sylvan Carry added. So, I mean, yeah, but no one blocks with Carry added. <laughs> like you have yeah, to really I guess pump, so. Like no one. And the good thing is, you can just keep chaining uh, your Zergo Bell Strikers to pump uh, Foundry Street Denizen. <laughs> good point. I guess. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> get some value there. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that could come up. Game. We'll, we'll see. Week one of SEG after the new set is out. I'm sure yeah. we'll see lots of vinyl reds, and we'll see what cards people settle on. But I think this yeah. is in conversation, and whether you play two or four is going to be the question. Yeah. Um, so on to the fish mail, because I think we talked way more than I wanted to about <laughs> Zergo. I mean, I'm a red player, but like... Alright, so fish mail. And again, thank you for everyone who's been sending us fish mail. We have a lot this week. So Kim H., uh, most of MTG finance revolves on "quote unquote" hot cards. What about cards from promos or side products such as verse decks? So MTG finance stuff. So Seth, what do you think? Oh uh, well, uh, that's kind of a hard question to answer all at once. It really depends on where the promos from and what the supplemental product is. Like, yep. there's a lot that goes into that. Like. Uh, a commander deck, for example, that they're just going to print to demand and sell in every Walmart for six months or a year, that's going to behave a lot differently financially than a judge promo where only a limited number are given out and they're very rare and hard to come by. So I'm not exactly sure how to answer that, um, except to say if they're selling it in your Walmart, it probably doesn't have very much financial potential. Sometimes, I mean, it doesn't always revolve around "quote unquote" hot cards. So I'm assuming when you talk about that, you're you're talking about like multi-format staples. And I mean, you have the you have like cards that are in side products that are that command a premium, like Scavenging Ooze back in the day when it was the first printing 
Yeah, okay, sorry for talking about scavenging news again. I think that's going to be like my my like That's your crucible. mascot card. Yeah, that's, that's my that's my crucible spirit right dragon. There. Yeah. And you have like so that commanded a premium and then you have like true name nemesis that's also in a side deck that also commands a premium. So it really just, you know, it's hard to answer that because it doesn't always revolve around those cards. If you are watching the market and all three of us do, you see some really weird cards come up in the, you know, the daily stocks and cards getting bought out. So, yeah, I mean, sometimes supplemental products have a card in it that's worth, you know, a lot, even if it's sold in Walmart. It, those behave really weird. Full disclosure, I mean, I have five mind seeds sitting, uh, sitting under my bed right now. They're not going anywhere because True Name Nemesis is still only worth less than what it's worth, uh, the box itself. So... I mean, if if it dries up, then you have a really costly True Name Nemesis because it's only printed in that one box, as opposed to, like, a corset printing or something like that. Yeah. So that's the best way I can answer that. So Kim H. asked another question. Additional question. On reprinted cards, is the set something to consider? For example, RAV versus RDR Shocks. Seth or Richard, uh, either or, anyone want to chime in on this? Uh, Sure. Yes, the set is definitely something to consider. There's a lot of people out there. I know one of them is Richard, who only want to play with the original printings of cards. <laughs> so if Richard's building a deck, he's going to want those original Ravnica shocks. Because, and there's a lot of people out there like that. So yeah, the set does come into, into play. And you also have to consider the supply issue. So not only is there demand for the original printings, just because they're original printings, but there's a lot less of the original Ravnica out there in the market than there is of return to Ravnica. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're catering to a pretty, like, I want to say it's not really, I guess I could classify it as a minority because I guess majority, if you need the card, you need the card. Like if you need it to play at a GP and you can only get the RDR version of a Shockland, you're going to get the RDR version of a Shockland because A, it's cheaper and B, you just need the card. So I guess people like Richard have a very, uh, expensive taste because i mean what are you playing ab dual lands richard no are you going I'm, that I'm hardcore cheap. no no <laughs> I, I play i play the old versions where you know the price is still reasonable yeah but just to add so, to that so sometimes the newer card is actually more expensive so this usually happens when the artwork on the old one is really bad or the artwork <laughs> on the new one is really good so if you look at say tarmogoyf or dark confidant um, Tarmogoyf, because people like the new border instead of the old border, so they, they're about the same price. And the new Dark Confidence art is a lot better, according to some people, even though that's blasphemy because <laughs> yeah. it's, you know, an invitational card and you took the guy off the card. But also, like, the Modern Master Swords, Sword of Light and Shadow, and Sword of Fire and Ice, the new swords are worth more than the old swords because the old art, like, was really bad. So, in general, the old cards are worth more, but you have these edge cases where the new art is just so much superior that people will go out of their way to, to play them. All right, so hopefully we answered those questions as best, you know. Um, thank you for the questions, Kim H., and that's at random K-H-O. So, our good friend Guo gave us a fish mail. Guo, what's up, man? All right, uh, so... Richard played in a Legacy 1K or a Limited 1K, legacy. and he wanted what? <laughs> legacy, I believe. Just because I played Limited cards doesn't mean it was a Limited 1K. <laughs> it was a Legacy 1K. Okay. And uh, 
he wanted to know he wanted to know about it. So Richard, yeah. So I made a tweet because uh, I top eighted a legacy one k at Channel Fireball, and I played uh, limited all stars like Gatekeeper Valaker and uh, Gerard's Verdict. So if you don't know what those cards do, uh, Gatekeeper's a black black two two with a kicker of one black. Uh, target opponent sacrifices a creature. And Gerard's Verdict is a white-black card. Uh, target opponent discards two cards, or target player discards two cards, and for each land discarded, gain three life. I posted about it because it's pretty funny, because everyone always gives me flack for playing these terrible cards. Um, but I do have my reasons. So Gatekeeper kills True Name Nemesis. Gatekeeper kills Emrakul. He's on a good spot in the curve. You can turn three. Gatekeeper, turn four. Uh, GTA equip and attack. So he's actually pretty good. He's he's the less controversial of the two cards. Uh, the other card is Gerard's Verdict. To me, it's bad. Him to Torok five and six, better than Thoughtseize most of the time. So my my realization of the format is there's very little card draw in Legacy. People are pondering, people are brainstorming. So they're basically cycling their deck, but no one's actually drawing cards outside of say Jace or a Sword. So if you just knock out whatever crap they have in their hands, even if it's lands, uh, you're turning their brainstorm into a cantrip, right? And if you do that, you're winning, right? So even on turn 10, where the guy's holding two lands in hand, if you hit them out of his hand, the next brainstorm he draws becomes worthless. So that's the reason for playing him five to six. And I've played maybe five or six tournaments with it so far, and I like it. Like, I, I haven't been able to find a better card to put in that slot. So it's going to be there for the next foreseeable while, but... Yeah, it goes to show you, you know, like, Chaz always tells me, oh, you know, Food Chain won, you know, some random event. Is it a good deck? Right? And the answer is, I don't know, right? Any Tier 2 deck can take down an event. So, you know, when you can play cards like Gerard's Verdict and Gatekeeper Malakir and do well in a tournament, that shows you the, the power level uh, of Legacy. Yeah, I, I really like Legacy because of that. It's, it's w- the one thing about Legacy I'll always like, bearing, you know, financial stuff, um, and it's a lot of money to play Legacy, but it's also like you're paying a premium to play such a good format. I mean, it's always been so diverse. So just a quick question before we move on. Uh, so how many times did someone actually have to like read either of those two cards? Oh, they always that, like, it. When you... <laughs> Yeah, I often tweeted, like, if they have to read the card, you're already winning. <laughs> People are like, wait, what does this do? If I just yeah, they, they lost. Yeah. And it's always been good. Like, I've never drawn it and, you know, thought this was a terrible card. It should be something else. It's always been just as good as him. You know, sometimes him is a bad draw, but, you know, like, that's how the deck is, right? So I encourage you guys to jam it into your legacy decks and give it a go. Hey, man, congratulations on that. I mean, you're you're a legacy guy, and it's good to see you doing well in legacies. What what eliminated you? Lands? Uh, (laughs) Lands in the top eight. Cannot beat Punishing Fire Lock with Loam. So I have, you know, I, I run three Wastelands, two Vindicates, um, but once they get life from the low mount, can't beat uh, Punishing Firelock. Yeah, it's pretty brutal. So thanks, Guo, for the fish mail. So we have one more, uh, Sander Van Der Zee at the Meddling Mage. I'm sorry if I butchered your name. So Dragons, Angels, Eldrazi, will the effect on demand ever diminish? Seth. I don't think so. I mean, those creature types have been uh, popular for a long time, and I think they would continue to be popular. So uh, I'm pretty sure people are going to keep buying them. Like, those creature types started all the way back in Alpha, and they're still popular today 20 years later. 
So I would expect, uh, assuming there's still Magic the Gathering, they'll be popular 20 years from now. Richard? Yeah, I mean, those are probably the reasons we play Magic, right? Like, we we initially played Magic because we wanted to cast goblins and elves and dragons and angels, right? If we just wanted a solid strategical game, we'd all be playing chess or poker or something like that, right? So Mm -hmm. dragons and angels are kind of the reason we play Magic, and I think that resonates with a lot of people, so I don't foresee these creature types ever diminishing. I think people will always want to play them. And I think that's all of them, right? Oh, wait, hold on. Uh, no, that's it. All right, so, um, so that about wraps things up. Uh, we talked about a lot of Dragons of Tarkir stuff. We handled all the fish mail. So I guess before I go, just last, uh, final thoughts on Dragons of Tarkir till we meet next week, and we'll have more spoilers, so. Um, I guess. I mean, it's very exciting. Whether I get to play with any of the cards is unknown. Um, I'm just waiting for the new Sarkin. Teamer or Five Color? I kind of want five color. This is so cool, <laughs> but that's like going to be nigh unplayable. So maybe teamer is going to be the more realistic choice. But five color crazy dragon planeswalker would be totally sweet. Seth, well, last I mean, thoughts. I'm excited too. I'm for me. I'm waiting for the rest of the command cycle, especially the blue black command. I'm really yeah. curious. Uh, so far, both of them seem to be at least standard playable. Maybe even modern playable for the uh, green red one. So I'm really excited to see how the rest of that shapes up. Yeah, Ojedai's command did well for me so far. It's it's well. Oh my god, Narset. <laughs> just unreal. <laughs> yeah, we're just watching it just getting sold out from twenty nine ninety nine to forty nine ninety nine. It's just you know, I felt like I feel like I'm kicking myself, but I mean that's steep. Alright, so that about wraps it up for episode nine. Thank you for joining the MTG podcast crew. And we will see you guys next week with more Dragons of Tarkir spoilers.